Let's be honest. Life's hard sometimes. We get discouraged, struggle in our faith, and it's easy to feel alone. Despite how you might feel sometimes, know that God's got your back. And so do we. Vision's prayer line team are ready to pray for whatever you're going through. Text your prayer request to 0401 132 888 and we will be praying for you. Or click prayerline at vision.org.au. That's 0401 132 888 or vision.org.au. It's another way Vision is helping you look to God daily. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. This is 2020 on Vision. You might like to participate in a conversation like this today as we get towards the pointy end. It's almost time when we will all cast our own vote in the Voice referendum coming up on the 14th of October. The question's going to read, A proposed law to alter the Constitution to recognise the First Peoples of Australia by establishing an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voice. Do you approve of this proposed alteration? Well, we're going to be asked to write either yes or no to the question. Pre-poll voting is already open, and for the referendum to be successful, a double majority must vote yes to the proposed changes. What does that mean? A double majority is a national majority of voters in the states and territories, and a majority of voters in at least four out of six states. So our conversation today, you can help lead where our conversation goes with two senior church leaders. Our guests today, the Reverend Dr. Peter Barnes, who's moderator of the Presbyterian Church of Australia. He's pastor, too, of Reevesby Presbyterian Church and lectures at the Presbyterian Theological College. Also joining us, the Reverend Dr. Gordon Priest. He's Director of Ethos, the Evangelical Alliance Centre for Christianity and Society. He's also Chair of the Melbourne Anglican Social Responsibilities Committee. Uh, to you, uh, first of all, uh, Dr. Peter Barnes, welcome to you. Thank you, Neil. Sorry, I should correct just about everything there. <laughs> okay, I've got I'm some... No, I'm no longer so. the moderator. We have fixed terms, uh, so that finished in September... I'll call you former moderator. That's yes, okay. And, and I've retired from Reesby. Okay, right. <laughs> and right. that's uh, only, only fairly recent this year. Okay. Uh, and uh, the, the Presbyterian Theological Centre is Christ College in Sydney. So. Okay, right. CCC uh, is Melbourne. Okay, so I stand corrected. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> it's amazing how fast it. things can change since last time we spoke. And uh, welcome to to the Reverend Gordon Priest. Uh, Gordon, did I did I get your uh, details right? Yes, you did. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I uh, usually get my name wrong, but um, you know, well, <laughs> priest, all right. priest, but no T. But that's you know whether you're yeah, talking about right. what your uh, what your vocation is. Hey, uh, the voice is coming. Uh, we're getting ready to vote. Fourteenth uh, of October. Uh, some people have been concerned. Uh, there are polls that have been going up and down, mostly down for the yes case. Uh, started strong and things have been uh, been challenged there. I wonder, just some overall perspectives from the two of you uh, in your church leadership roles. Uh, Peter Barnes, how are you feeling about how things have progressed to this point? Well, I don't know any more than... Uh what anybody else does from uh, you know, the media. Uh, 
yeah, it looks like the yes vote has has gone down. I get the impression that perhaps people are becoming rather weary of the celebrity support for it, and that that is a factor, fatigue factor. Um, what else? And, and it, yeah, um, I don't know much more than that. I, uh, there perhaps is a fatigue factor, and uh, I guess anyone who's interested in the outcome will be hoping that people can hold on and not be too fatigued over this next couple of weeks. Uh, Gordon Priest, uh, your thoughts, uh, an overall impression. Uh, here we are at this point, we're, well, literally a week and a half out from the vote. Uh, what are your impressions? Uh, well, yeah, certainly there's been a, for, for those who support a yes vote, um, yeah, it's been a disturbing sort of decline um, over the last several months. And um, now there was there was a report of a 2% um, increase back in the yes vote from one, um, one apparently, but it would take, a, it would take quite a lot of that, I, I think, to, um, because, yeah, referenda are, um, are very very difficult to win, and um, and uh, and unless you have bipartisanship, and I think that's been the the basic issue that something that was a bipartisan approach over about a decade, roughly, um, has has shifted um, basically since Christmas, since the, the since the Nationals um, uh, decided not to um, not to go yes. And I think that's been that's been the fundamental thing, and and then that leads into various issues like division and various other concerns that come up, and we we can talk about a whole the whole range of issues. But I think that's the fundamental issue when it comes to, you know, how do you, um, how do you get through referendums, and um, and 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 Labor governments have had a very poor record in relationship to that too. Um, so it was it was doubly important. That they um, they have the Liberals and the Nationals with them on it, so that was pretty much a, a death signature to it in some ways, unless there's a. Yeah, is it? I, I, I won't lightly use the word miracle, it's, but, but but you know something. A very yeah, it would be very surprising now. It would seem. Is it fair enough to say uh, that bipartisanship would have been a crucial necessity for the passing of uh, this sort of referendum? And that both sides traditionally, uh, talking politically now, both sides traditionally have had at their heart the recognition of Aboriginal people in the Constitution. But the addition of the voice and the way that it's been presented as a change to the Constitution that uh, then on one side of politics, the conservative side, they felt risks dividing rather than uniting Australians. Is this actual voice, rather than the recognition of Aboriginal people in the Constitution, the main sticking point? Uh, thoughts from you, Peter. Uh, thoughts uh, around, you know, the politics. It's been politicised, hasn't it? Look, I'm not a lawyer or the son of a lawyer, but I would think uh, putting recognition in the preamble to the Constitution is perhaps uh, tokenistic, but it would be worthwhile. Uh, but to put a voice in, in the way it's being done, is, is something very different. And I think I agree. Um, we have no details, or what details we do have. It just looks like another layer of bureaucracy. It hasn't worked in the past. You make it permanent by putting it in the Constitution. 
uh, as distinct from setting up a commission and seeing how that goes. You can change things then. If it doesn't work, you remove it. But this, it, there's a, it's got a, a permanence about it so far as anything on earth has permanence. Uh, constitutions try to be permanent. Uh, Gordon Priest, uh, the permanence of the voice in the Constitution as one of the sticking points, is the permanence an absolute necessity for uh, the ongoing well-being and uh, change to disadvantage for uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people? Or uh, is it likely that, you know, if there is a no vote, there'll be a, a legislated voice anyway, and that may well do that? But what the constitution factor here, how important is that for you? Well, I think in terms of the starting with the last first, I, I think we... <clears throat> It, it, it's hard to um, guess about that as to what will, yeah, what would actually happen um, there as to whether it would be legislated via the parliament. Um, and, and there's been no commitment in, in relationship to that um, made so far. But I think, I, I think that the difference between recognition and voice is, is quite critical. And, um, and I, I think I'd agree with Peter that it, it, it it does seem to be, um, yeah, a, a, a little bit, um, well, minimising things to actually just go with that. Um, there's been lots of debate in the past about, and from the Liberal side, for instance, about um, things being symbolic, etc. This would sound like it was very, it's very symbolic if it was just to be um, recognition and not have a voice. And I, I did in the article um, I wrote, and I, I may have mentioned last time I was on, um, I, I do have an adopted Aboriginal um, uh, cousin. And there was a time at Macquarie University where we both happened to, un, unknowingly to each other, because we lived a long way away from each other, be it um, an event on Aboriginal education. And I was racing out to get back to my office and... Um, and uh, sort of went past a group of people and um, but then just heard a tiny sort of voice um, you know, saying my name and then um, sort of turned at my cousin. And I think I think she was a bit sort of disappointed or hurt, may have thought I'd ignored her, but I just in 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 a in a different context and not having seen her for quite a while. Um, I think voice is absolutely essential to recognition. And um, I, I noticed that um, that uh, uh, um, is it Senator McKenzie the, from from the National. She was talking recently, Bridget McKenzie, um, and uh, she basically talked about that, just having the the recognition and and not the voice. And I think it trivialises it, to be honest. I think the um, voice is essential if we're going to talk in any sense about some sense of self determination. Under, under God, um, that's a that's a critical factor. That there is an ongoing um, that there is an ongoing commitment to that because otherwise it becomes a political football whereby from government to government it can change, and that has been part of the perennial problem. The it's switch the switch the the use of the term in a sense. The perennial problem has been government swaying to and fro in terms of policies, et cetera, et cetera, and Indigenous people not having that regular kind of voice. Now, the, to say it's absolutely permanent, that, that principle will be permanent, 
but it can be changed because Parliament decides. Parliament will decide the number of people, etc., uh, etc., et the process by which those people become the elected voice. And so um, it's it's too strong a term to say the whole thing is just um, absolutely permanent. It's, um, yeah, it is. So you've got fears that somehow or other the voice would be either hijacked by whichever government is in power or by activists along the way. Um, when you've got something that is permanent, it's concrete uh, in the Constitution. Um, the thought of putting things in the Constitution means things get put beyond uh, the reach of the Parliament. Uh, is there something that is a problem with that? Um, Peter Barnes, uh, thoughts from you, because uh, here's our government uh, under Anthony Albanese uh, actually wanting to establish something that is beyond uh, the government, because the Constitution has that sort of a power that's a little bit transcendent. Well, it seems to be pointing in two directions at once. So some people are saying, uh, look, this is this is a very conservative approach. Other people are saying, no, this is very far-reaching. And the lack of detail ought to worry everybody, I would think. Uh, just to... Give another example. The Western Australia cultural heritage laws were brought in and then dropped. Uh, and dropped for good reason, I think. <laughs> uh, but that's evidence of something that somebody thought was a good idea. And then in practice, it aroused a lot of opposition and you could remove it. Now, I, it's very difficult. Once you set up a voice, is it legislative no it's not is it advisory yes it is but what sort of clout does it have do you listen to them or you don't um it, I, I think it's a minefield and it i don't think it solves anything because i don't think the problem is essentially yeah the lack of representation in parliament i don't think that's that's the that's the problem that aboriginals face i think the, the problems are far more wide-reaching than that and Parliaments rarely solve anything. They can make things worse. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Gordon Priest, uh, the thought of modest change is where the Prime Minister has pitched uh, the yes side of the voice. Uh, but if you balance that with uh, all sorts of other concerns around uh, what might well be a huge cost, uh, even pay the rent, uh, red tape, as uh, Peter's indicating from that Western Australian legislation, um, affects lives everywhere. Any thoughts here about the idea of a modest change actually may not actually be just modest? Well, like anything in the in the political process, um, right or left or, or state or federal, um, the um, it, it really depends on uh, the the people who who are appointed and the kinds of checks and balances in terms of the the process. And the um, certainly it, it there have been this this seems very much like previous sorts of issues that we've had in relationship to these sorts of things in relation say if we go back to um, Marbo and and land rights legislation. Now there are a lot of people going around and basically saying they're gonna they're gonna steal your backyards, people are gonna lose their property, their land, their heritage, etc. etc. And it hasn't happened. 
it, it overall, um, yes, there's a, in some sense a considerable amount of land, but it wasn't sort of contested land that was that was um, and being used by other people in, um, and so it's. I think that's quite alarmist, and I don't think um, that's that's particularly um, likely to to happen. So I think that one, um, yeah, we we need to look at the history, particularly about debates involving Aboriginal people and and also um, various votes in regards to their their standing um, regarding voting and other sorts of things like that. And and there's always been a lot of fear mongering. In relationship to those those issues, the fundamental issue is about the the their right as First Nations people. They were the first people here. They've been here for sixty five thousand years. Um, under under God, there needs to be some recognition of that status, and there needs to be some ability of, in terms of self determination. And self determination is is generally delivered via some form of voice. That, that happens whether it's in, in relationship to families, um, states or federal level, etc. That is how it happens in which we negotiate these things. And the question is, do we actually um, do we actually show some trust? I think that is a very fundamental kind of thing. I think a, a, a not demanding gesture has been made um, through a process you know 10 years or more of process, and in in a very welcoming kind of spirit, and um, it's going to be a devastating thing if that is rejected. Why don't we take some calls? Uh, let's first of all hear from uh, Pinky, the truck driver in Regency Downs in Queensland. Hey, Pinky, welcome along. Hey, how you going, Neil? Very well. What are your thoughts? Um, Neil, um, just went to Townsville uh, for my son's football match there uh, last uh couple of weeks and um, met up with another elder from Rockhampton uh, in the park they were doing a traditional dance and, and because my son does that as well we were sort of sitting there talking to him and as we were leaving our mate says vote no vote no so that's the Aboriginals um, uh, actually vote no uh, about this uh, yes vote okay and that's you, yep, so when you, when they, yeah sorry Neil but you're raising a very good point morning, yeah, when I was up in Northern Territory, those other two elders up there said the, said the same thing. Now, this is a very important point and good to get perspectives from both of our guests on this one because uh, not everyone in Australia's Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander communities uh, actually wants yes. Many are saying no. Let me come to Peter Barnes first. Uh, Peter, your thoughts here? <laughs> yes, well, I run around the those communities with a clipboard and a microphone, so I, I'm not sure that I could guess how many are voting no. I suspect there's, there's reports even today, something like 45% knew nothing about the whole thing, um, so they don't know about it, and they're quite indifferent to it. So I, I suspect there's quite a, a measure of indifference to this. Uh, but yes, there's uh, a lot of the circles that I do know about um, Aboriginal Christians voting no. 
Um, Gordon Priest, uh, when you've got the likes of uh, Jacinta Nampajimpa Price, and uh, she's married to a white husband, um, some other guests, uh, Norman and Barbara Miller, who've been on this program. Uh, Norman is an Indigenous man, uh, Barbara is white. Um, they'll feel that somehow or other, uh, two sets of sovereignty, if you describe it a little bit like that, uh, can even divide households. Uh, thoughts here around. Uh, Aboriginal people and uh, the fact that they don't all uh, support the idea of a yes? Oh, well, you know, the the idea of all, you know, um, particularly when you have, um, what is it, 300, 300 na- Aboriginal nations, um, but but you, you apply that to, to white people or the, or the rest of multicultural Australia, and you know you you talk about all that's just not um, that's not possible nor normal in any kind of democratic uh, debate. Uh, the ev- the evidence is in terms of the polling that about eighty percent of Aboriginals are in favour. Um, so it doesn't mean they're um, you know they you know that's not a hundred percent, but that's that's about as good as it gets in any kind of democratic kind of situation that we ever have, and. So, in um, if if you're thinking in any way about majority um, decision making, that's a very very good number. Now um, we'll see what comes out in the end. Um, you know, polls aren't infallible. I recognise that. Um, we'll we'll see what what does come out. But I think we need to need to recognise that the, the the debate goes on between say the, the the Central Australian Land Council, for instance, have, have strongly disagreed with Jacinta Price. Now, I, I recognise Jacinta Price and, and Warren Mundine as fellow fellow Christians, um, but I, I I disagree. I don't disagree with their... They talk about reconciliation. Jacinta talks about that. She talks about having sort of seen it and worked out within her own family. I think that's a very positive Christian perspective, and I think we would all want to want to look towards reconciliation and and recognise it as a fundamentally Christian word, and um, and see where it's come from, and 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 also try and operate um, from a a perspective of all the promises of God have their yes and amen in Jesus, and 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 that's a fundamental yes in the first place, but that doesn't mean something like voting is trivial. It is important, and and we need to work on on that, and we need to work on issues like recon, reconciliation, and um and and also this this might be, um might be you know throwing a grenade into the area, but it's it's always been that the treaty was part of the process as well, that's that's listed, and it's um it's down there, um in a country like like New Zealand, um had a very different history to us. Because of a treaty that um, that a, a, a Australian missionary, um, well, um, English Australian missionary um, Samuel Marsden was involved in that process, going back to the middle of, of the 19th century. So um, there, there's a whole range of aspects to this which have been talked about over the over the past 10 years. Um, Okay, let's uh, thank Pinky for a good contribution today. Thank you, Pinky, for taking part. Let's continue to take some calls. You can help direct where our conversation goes. Anne-Marie is in Tasmania. Hello, Anne-Marie. Welcome along. Hello, Neil. Um, I'm just um, ringing. I 
I all along have been going to vote no, but that is mainly because um, of the strong voice of my family and my parents that I have decided to go down that road. But I thought I can't do that without actually finding out more information. Like, and I was very confused about it. And last night someone sent me a, a webinar, a misinformation busting webinar it was called, and I listened to that last night. And after I got off listening to it, I um, I started having second thoughts and thought, oh, it doesn't sound too bad. Maybe this is, you know, out of, you know, the goodness and the kindness of the, you know, we should be allowing these people to have their voice. And then I had a thought, maybe I should ask the Lord about it. So I, I said to the Lord, Lord, what's your what's your voice on this matter? What do you think? And I just opened my Bible and straight away it went to Jeremiah six verse twenty two. Do you mind if I read that? Uh, you need to be quick, but yes, that would be wonderful. Yep. Okay, so that says, Thus says the Lord, Behold, a people come from the north country, and a great nation will be raised from the furthest parts of the earth. They will lay hold on bow and spear. They are cruel and have no mercy. Their voice roars like the sea, and they ride on horses. A man of war set in array against you, O daughter of Zion. And it was just the voice roars like the sea um, just really struck me because obviously that's something that was I felt to ask the Lord about. And, and Marie, about it, I will, I'll cut you short here because we're about a minute away from news. And uh, I'm just uh, thinking I'll come to Peter here. Um, there's uh, an application for that scripture, no doubt, uh, that comes to an understanding of a voice that rises against the, the, the children of God. Uh, this is not necessarily in that type of context. Uh, what are your thoughts here, just very quickly, about uh, being prayerful as to how you might cast your vote? Yes, be prayerful. Um, uh, Jeremiah 6 is not the passage I'd hate to. I mean, it's Babylon attacking the covenant people. Let's continue to take some calls. Let's hear from Zoe, who is in Albany in WA. Hi, Zoe. Welcome along. Oh, hello. So I've got, sorry, Hazel. Hazel, I've got you in Katanning. We'll take Zoe next. Hazel, what are your thoughts? Yeah, hi. Um, look, I'm just bringing in because firstly, I want to say that I'm a Christian and I love the Lord, and secondly, um, that I'm Aboriginal, and that this whole referendum um, has actually caused a lot of commu- uh, a lot of confusion, not in terms of what the Australian government has actually presented, because what they've actually offered has been very transparent from the very beginning. I think a lot of the confusion is actually coming from the voices from the No campaign. A lot of it, uh, a lot of their campaigning has been around fear, untruths, um, and and it's just caused you know to use a slogan. If you don't know, vote no. I think it's really important that all Australians, if you're going to cast a vote, that you actually research and find out for yourself what you will be voting for. Um, you know, and I think this is uh, it's yes, it's political but it's also about doing the right thing for a group of people that have been so disadvantaged in their country for so long. It's about listening to their voice, to their truth, and as you would know in the political arena, the whole reason that this referendum has been called 
is because we are not closing the gap in, in the areas of health, housing, employment, education and training. This is why the referendum has been called. And I think everything else has been lost um, in the cause and the reason behind Hazel, why the referendum you're making some very good points here. I will cut in because yeah. uh, we'll get uh, plenty to work with there. Let me come to Peter Barnes here. Peter, uh, your thoughts for Hazel? Well, a few things. Uh, I'm glad you're a Christian, Hazel. That Blessings to you. Uh, and you're right. Yeah, keep, you. keep pressing on. Uh, I don't think the government is being transparent on what it's delivering. It's been short of on detail. And they've often made a virtue of that. In fact, uh, Linda Burney has said that, that they, she thought in 1999 with the referendum <coughs> over the Republic that, uh, yeah, it, it made a mistake in that area and, and gave too much detail. Um, so they've been very light on in detail. We don't know what we're voting for. So the slogan, if you don't know, vote no, uh, is not a silly one. I didn't invent it. And I'm not running around with it. Uh, but we don't know what we're getting into, except it, it looks like a national body of 24 Indigenous people with regional voices, any number of local voices. Are they paid? Where do they come from? Um, it, we don't have the detail. And that's a good reason to to, to be slow and very cautious. Slow and cautious. Uh, Gordon Priest, I'll bring you on because this is uh, certainly a significant point here. Uh, how much detail is necessary and how much is enough? How much is too much? How much is too little? Um, thoughts here for Hazel? Um, thanks, Hazel. I thought you stated things very well. Um, I I think there's there's an issue about justifying ignorance and... There are two different kinds of ignorance um, in that slogan. Like you can, um, there's there's kind of innocent um, ignorance, but there's culpable ignorance, and and I think the danger is that we've had a fair bit of culpable ignorance. I think um, now now Peter rightly argues that you know we we do want to sort of know about things, but I think the way to do that is to find out more. Um, I've I've got the the official kind of yes and no statement here, the referendum booklet. Um, that's supposed to be going around um, all over the place, which which states things quite simply from from both perspectives, and and responds to different arguments um, in that in that process. And I think it really is a case of of people taking seriously their citizenship, um, taking seriously the um, the role of Aboriginal people as First Nations. And take seriously the the need for both reconciliation and for practical uh, bridging of the gap. And to and Aboriginals are not um, you know sort of crying the victim in in terms of this. Like one of the questions that we we have is referring to that they in they are wanting a voice, not victimhood. They are actually wanting to have a say about. A range of issues, um, you know, some of the things that have been going on in Alice Springs, for instance. Um, we have someone who's a surgeon there who's written for us in our magazine, which I've just seen has arrived outside of my letterbox. Um, there, um, there was a re recent um, 
thing on SBS, I think it was on last night or the night before, about Aboriginals being able to achieve a considerable amount in terms of dealing with specific diseases because Aboriginal voices were being heard. Um, what I hear from a lot of Aboriginal people is the opportunity to actually um, express those voices and to then and to get them to Parliament and to have them heard directly, um, you know, from on the ground, and uh, and yeah, to um, it, to have the choice in relationship to that. I think um, we don't have the right to deprive them of that. Hazel in Katanning, thank you so much for a good contribution today. 1-800-316-316. Let's take that call from Zoe is in Albany in Western Australia. Hi, Zoe. Welcome. Hi. Hi, Neil. Zoe, what are your thoughts? Um, so, yeah, I, I think a good place to start is actually um, with the, you know, the yes and no vote all about, it was all about love. Um, which was the last big vote that we did. And it turned out that there was a lot of hidden agenda behind that. It wasn't just about love. It was about bringing in transgender. It was about bringing in a whole ream of things that really affect our grandchildren. Um, and we weren't told the whole picture. So, so the, the marriage plebiscite uh, has created yeah. a cynicism in an Australian voting public. They don't necessarily trust... Oh. Uh, the people well, I, who were uh, who are running the country. With, with doesn't matter which side of government, you'd have criticisms on both sides. That's right. We don't get the whole truth, and the same with this referendum. Is you know that we haven't been given the whole truth. Albanese said, um, you know, vote and I'll tell you about it later. Um, there is a lot of concern that this is actually taking away Aboriginal rights, not giving not giving more to them, and that effectively it's actually removing land rights from Aboriginals and non-Aboriginals, so white Australians as well, and handing it to the World Economic Forum. Now, that sounds way out of place. Like, <laughs> that sounds like, whoa, um, without going into a lot of detail because I don't have a lot of time. But without knowing the full detail to all of this, um, you know, we're being conditioned as a society to... It feels good to say, yes, if someone asks you to do something, can you say, yes, you feel good? And unfortunately, that's what we've been conditioned as a society rather than thinking, okay, is there more behind this? If I'm not sure about this, you know, it should be no. Yep. Zoe, good no thoughts here. I'll come to Peter Barnes. Um, this cynicism that we have, uh, we don't trust the government. Uh, we may trust even less uh, activists who might appear to be the ones who might be the ones who uh, who you know hijack the whole process. If we don't know about this in advance, uh, it's challenging. Any thoughts here for Zoe from you, Peter? Let me quote from the Uluru statement because it it comes as a package, and I think uh, probably Gordon would could concede that that there are a number of things going together. And this is from the Uluru statement from the heart. This sovereignty is a spiritual notion, the ancestral tie between the land or Mother Nature and the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who were born therefrom, remain attached thereto and must, day, must one day return thither to be united with our ancestors. This link is the basis of the ownership of the soil or better of sovereignty. It has never been ceded or extinguished and coexists with the sovereignty of the crown. And it's, it's it's statements like that that ought to make us 
very wary. I mean, it's it's a spiritual statement. These are not materialists. They they are saying that they, uh, there is a connection with the land and with the ancestors, uh, and that there is sovereignty associated with that. So that's the thinking behind the Uluru statement. It's a it's a moving document, but it's not really a document that's. Uh, uh, a, a hand of friendship extended out. It's it's a declaration of what a certain number of people wish for and where they're coming from. And I think that should be taken seriously. Okay. Zoe, thank you so much for your call. Uh, let's continue to take some calls. I might get uh, comments from both sides here if we can, but let's take another call. Alfie is in Corrigan in Western Australia. Hi, Alfie. Welcome. Yeah, hello. How are you going? Good, Alfie. What are your thoughts? Yeah, when I just when they talk about the voice, um, Yossi Yindi brought out an album called The Tribal Voice. Now that tribal voice, it's singing out to what the what we used to worship the the, the Aboriginal people worship the Rainbow Serpent. So that's what it's about. And because Christianity is moving through those places, they don't want Christianity coming in there. They want them to go back and worship the Rainbow Serpent. But we need to listen to the Bible voice, not the not the tribal voice, the Rainbow Serpent. That's Alfie, Alfie where of. are you coming from? Are you uh, an Indigenous Australian or non-Indigenous? Yeah, yeah, I'm a Larrakia man from Darwin. Okay, let's come to um, Gordon Priest. Uh, spirituality here. Uh, some will even align this uh, Dreamtime Aboriginal spirituality with uh, even paganism uh, or animism and they're saying how do a christian deal with such things uh this is actually something of a religious foundation for uh, what's coming here that we might be voting on what are your thoughts here for uh for alfie look i think um there's a range of different aboriginal spiritualities the dreaming etc etc um I, i think that um, it ought to be recognised that there is there is also um, a commitment to a creator creator god or a high god. Um, last yeah, time we, we spoke, someone referred to um, uh, oh, to the Helen yeah um, the 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 Aboriginal settlement two hundred kilometres north of of Alice Springs Hel- um, Hermans Hermansburg yeah Hermansburg now. Um, uh, Basically, Lutheran Lutheran pastors were the origins of um, anthropology as a discipline in a, in Australia. They were brilliant men, and um, they were Christian, and they they recognised no real problem in in terms of um, the way Aboriginal spirituality was um, was um, reflected in terms of a creator God. And I think, um, yeah, I think what we need to see. Also, we can't just talk about this as if, it, you know, because we are talking about the, probably the the most Christian um, uh, language and other group in Australia. Aboriginals have, have a high, higher rates of, of Christian commitment than just about anybody else in the, in the country. Um, what we are talking about, though, and gets neglected is the doctrine of discovery, which in effect gave kings and some queens absolute rights in relationship to the the nations that had been put according to paul god drew up the boundaries in act 17 and we come from one blood and and the recognition of certain um 
First Nations kinds of rights and and the significance of those sorts of things. And John Harris has written about that in the book One Blood, which refers to that Act 17 passage, which talks about the relation, the um, missionary relationships um, with Indigenous people. He also read another book, which is, and this is from originally from my organisation, um, Zadok, um, and he he talks it's uh, talked about we wish we did more, which is about CMS missions in the Northern Territory where his parents were actually CMS missionaries, and and they recognised that there were mistakes that were made, and the the view that the land was empty, that Indigenous people were kind of lazy, they didn't develop the land, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Well, they didn't develop in the same industrial kinds of forms that were were going on in England, say in the in the mid nineteenth century, but they had their own forms of relating to the land, etc. And 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 knowledge of that. And um, so there are there are lots of people who manage to um, be thoroughly Christian, thoroughly God-centered, believing the Creator God and Jesus, the Trinity, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and and yet have worked out ways in which that can be expressed or incarnated in different ways in relationship to traditional um, forms and forms of ritual. And uh, for Alfie here, certainly it puts the pressure, doesn't it, on Indigenous Christian leaders uh, to be aware of the spirituality that is coming, whether there is a yes or a no vote, uh, because uh, just because there's a referendum mm-hmm. coming doesn't mean the push for all of these things will not continue. But uh, that discernment that comes from those Christian leaders, and given that six or seven out of ten Australians uh, uh, Aboriginal people identify as Christian, uh, we might be wondering why a Christian voice has not been heard and that there is uh, all of this other Dreamtime spirituality that's wrapped up in the focus for the future. But Alfie, thank you so much for your call, 1-800-316-316. Let's continue to take some calls. We'll see if we can get through quickly. Kim is in New South Wales. Hi, Kim. Welcome. Yeah, hello. Um, so first I'll just... Um, to say um, that a long time ago I lived in Arnhem Land, we worked there and my best friend was an Indigenous woman but it's a different story down where I am in New South Wales and I don't have any Indigenous friends Just, but um, I'm very amused, it's the same old, same old that um, you know everybody's an expert on Indigenous people. I've seen people go to the Northern Territory for three months and they know all about it. they got an opinion and they're right and they can solve their whole problems. So it's just another thing to, you know, I, my husband, before I met him, my late husband, he, he was up there where they fed the whole people in the community a hot lunch. That was the government. Then No, 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 we don't do that. They've got to look after themselves. The policies they've brought in to try and help them and nothing's really worked. Kim, good thoughts there. Uh, Let me come to uh, Peter Barnes. Um, Some are saying, well, it doesn't matter what the outcome of the voice is, that's not going to actually help uh, the disadvantage on the ground. Um, There's some aspiration, hope that... Uh, a yes will actually help to, uh, you know, uh, close the gap in so many different uh, metrics. Uh, your thoughts here for for Kim and and her feelings? Yeah, well, I don't want to appear as an expert, uh, uh, but uh, I mean, 
we have gone from one policy to another, and I mean, even say with the grog issue in in places like Alice Springs and Tennant Creek, so uh, the banning of alcohol and then the lifting of that ban um, is probably indicative of a part of the problem. Um, <laughs> who gets to say and why? And, and yeah, what what drives the decision is a key one. But those sort of decisions belong there. And I have a, a fear that the voice will create another layer of bureaucracy. There is there's been plenty of provision before. Um, ATSIC, for example, the commission set up to to look after these issues. None of them work. They're all being bureaucratic. <clears throat> and, and the um, welfareism hasn't worked. Lack of compassion doesn't work either. And, and somehow we've got to combine. I think the Bible does combine the two together. Compassion with uh, a genuine capacity to set people on a track which will help them. Uh, and uh, we've poured an enormous amount of money into these issues and where it's gone and what, what good it's done is, is yeah, good questions. I think the, basically the answer is that not much has been achieved, or certainly not as much as it should have been achieved, and in a lot of places gone backwards. Um, okay. And we need to listen to people who are saying those sort of things. I want to thank uh, Kim. Uh, thank Kim for uh, insight. There's other callers who are waiting in line, but I'm going to have to put a line under those calls because time is short, because I want to ask something very important of our two guests, and uh, really not a lot of time for a deep response here. But beyond a yes or no vote on the 14th, the role of the Christian church, the pastoral issues, uh, some will say we've got a divided nation now. Are there going to be some healing, reconciliation, pastoral issues that we'll need to be aspiring to because of the division and some of those things that have uh, torn people apart, torn communities perhaps apart? Um, thoughts here, first of all, from Gordon Priest, and I'll and I'll get a, a last word from Peter Barnes, but... Uh, uh, Gordon, uh, pastoral issues beyond the vote. Uh, Gordon, are you with us? Uh, Gordon's look sounds like it's dropped out, but uh, if you can still hear me, uh, Peter, your thoughts yes. on the on the pastoral issues? Well, I think the referendum itself was a bad idea and was bound to be div divisive, and so. Um, the yes vote wins. Major has... issues raised, and this has been the convert. Sorry, you've got Gordon now. Gordon, sorry about that. I think there's a bit of delay on our link here, but uh, but yes, uh, please go for it. Oh. Okay, sorry. sorry. Um, so I think yeah, the um, there's there's been a, um, a huge rise in issues, mental health issues amongst Indigenous people in. Um, I think particularly in Central Australia, but I think in, in, in other places as well. And um, the people would say, well, that's caused by the division that this has raised. But the the division was already there in the Constitution. And, and, the, and the Constitution allowed discrimination in relationship to Indigenous people. And, um, but we need to... Um, 
some of some of the the greatest Aboriginal leaders and people who are um, who are Christian, like Noel Pearson, for instance, um, have you know he was he was asked what he would do if things happen. He talked about you know they would go silent. Now he is he has certainly not been silent lately. He has renewed his his um, his very strong engagement, but. Um, yeah, a whole generation of Aboriginal leadership who have actually achieved some things, not as much as we would like, but we we need to think seriously about what, when people are going to vote no, what is, it, it sounds like the no-alition stuff, um, what are they actually going to propose and what is going to pr propose some kind of real hope for people um, in um in this in the situation if this doesn't go through and i don't hear people coming up with hope and i i think we need to weigh that heavily in our on our hearts thanks gordon uh, a final thought from you peter barnes around the pastoral issues that christians in communities listening to our conversation today churches the pastoral concerns the things that they'll need to work on beyond the vote just to clarify reconciliation, reconciliation in the Bible is reconciliation with God and with his people, and then so far as possible, reconciliation with everybody else. So, And it's through Christ. Uh, we, civil reconciliation is a, a different sort of thing that we get on with one another so far as we can, whether people believe in Christ or not. And uh, yeah, so that the pastoral issues, the churches shouldn't claim too much. Yeah, that they're speaking for the whole of the country, and the whole of the country is divided on this. And yeah, we're we're the healing balm, and I, I think that's if people aren't Christians, the first message is be, become Christian. Uh, now, after that, I think there's going to be uh, divisions in the nation, whether yes wins or no wins, and the way the referendum has been introduced has contributed to that. I, I, it was inherently divisive, and um, I, I think uh, Gordon's first point was that it didn't have support, bipartisan support, uh, and it, it could have had with a better, uh, not a voice, I don't agree with the voice, but uh, ask a real question, which is not how we get some representatives in a semi-parliament that's not really a parliament and call it a voice uh, but how, how do we genuinely help uh, people on the ground in, in in disadvantaged communities well just great getting wisdom from the two of you and uh, i think if we were all agreeing as gordon said a little earlier in the conversation reconciliation is essentially a christian word and as you've brought out there towards the end, uh, Peter, it starts with reconciliation first to God, and then uh, there's a process of reconciliation to one another and perhaps reconciliation to uh, even our environment. Uh, but certainly reconciliation first to God is where our priority needs to be as Christian believers. And uh, certainly uh, the way forward uh, doesn't look easy because there are divisions that will need to be dealt with. We have run out of time. Our two special guests, the Reverend Dr. Peter Barnes, former moderator of the Presbyterian Church of Australia, uh, these days lectures at Christ College in Sydney, and the Reverend Dr. Gordon Priest.
Director of Ethos, the Evangelical Alliance Centre for Christianity and Society. Uh, connect with these gentlemen. I'm sure you can go through the Presbyterian website, presbyterian.org.au or the Ethos website, E-T-H-O-S, ethos.org.au. Uh, to Peter and to Gordon, thank you so much for taking some time to share your thoughts and heart with us today on 2020. Thanks, Thank you, Neil. Thanks, Peter. Thanks, Gordon. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.